Hey everyone, welcome back to an all new episode of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckis. This week's guest is the co-founder of SAS Bros, Eric McKee. After studying art and sports management in college, Eric went on to found a nonprofit, which he ran for the next 12 years prior to breaking into the world of SaaS sales as a BDR. We took it way back to Eric's younger years and worked his way all the way to where he is today. Just a few weeks ago, Eric left his full-time job at Gravy to put all of his effort into SaaS Bros, where he and his brother, who is also a former 20% podcast guest, Darren McKee, help unqualified individuals kickstart their SaaS careers with absolutely zero experience. In this week's episode, we discussed how to overcome losing your identity, starting something from nothing, finding your purpose, how Eric cut his teeth selling in the nonprofit world, starting SaaS Bros, committing to doing the hard things every day, doing the most important thing, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Eric McKee. Eric, welcome to the show. Yo, Tyler. What's up, man? Good to be here. I'm so excited. Uh, shout out to Darren McKee as well, Eric's brother. I met, I had Darren on the show a while back. Um, they created SAS Bros since we talked uh, and, and you know, just warming up with Eric, seeing everything that he does on his personal brand with LinkedIn. Um, also making a big shift from the corporate world to being a founder. So we're excited to jump into that. But Eric, before we do that, when we were warming up, you mentioned that you're a big music fan and you, and you use music as a way, as a, an outlet. Why is that so important to your life? And how has it taken you through some, some tough times as well? I'm sure, that, I'm sure that happened. Gosh, I mean, I think, you know, I'm an artist at heart. I don't know if you're big on the Enneagram, but um, it's been a, a game changer for me just to understand myself and my family better. So I'm a four wing three and uh, I was an art major uh, in college. So music has been a huge part of my life. I listened to the same like 20 albums that I listened to when I was 18 years old. <laughs> and I try to bring in, uh, you know, some new stuff. I'm a big J. Cole guy with his connection to North Carolina. Uh, I like Casey Musgraves a lot. So throwing in some country here and there. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it's it. We were joking about how I don't really listen to podcasts because I try to fill that time with music. So. Yeah, that, that's really important too. And it, it, everybody has their outlet, some, you know, and so I'm really happy that you have that and it's taken you, you know, through everything. So let's dive into the early background before we get into SAS Bros and, and then making that big jump. Now, you just mentioned that you were an art major in college. And I, I know you ultimately went on to finish with a sports management, but let's talk before that as well. Tell us about the early years. I know, um, like Darren just posted this morning about uh, the impact that it, your, your dad had on him now sure he had some impact as well. Tell us about young Eric, what you were like, what you wanted to do with your career, and, and maybe even, you know, what kind of potential jobs you started with. Just tell us what young Eric was, was like. Oh, yeah, I was uh, obsessed with basketball. That was my entire life. I went to Coastal Carolina chasing hoop dreams. And when I think back on my high school experience, I mean, it was really uh, having good friends. That was a huge part of my life. Um, I had some really great guys that I was connected to in high school and just basketball. I went to one of the biggest high schools in Texas. We had a great program. And so I was focused on trying to play basketball at the next level. And honestly, never really thought about my career beyond college and beyond playing basketball. I wasn't the best student. Uh, I kept my grades as high as I needed to so I could play ball. <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, you know, whenever I did think about it, it was, oh man, it would be cool to go and work for Nike or design shoes or apparel, something like that, uh, something in the creative realm. 
tech sales, the tech world in general was the the furthest thing from my mind, especially when I was growing up. And you mentioned my dad. I mean, he was, um, you know, obviously he he was very important, uh, very important figure for us back then. And, and even today, they live 30 minutes away. So we see them all the time. And, uh, and Darren might've brought some of this stuff up, but just the, the commitment to who you are when no one is looking, um, just building that, uh, that value of character and integrity, hard work. I mean, my dad worked at DuPont from the time he was 18 years old till like several years ago when he retired, uh, just loyal, committed, uh, rode that train and, uh, just instilled kind of that grittiness into us, uh, when we were younger. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and gritty is a, a great, you know, that hard work and that grit absolutely paid off later on when you were at your different roles of, of well exceeding all of your quota and now, now where you are as well. So obviously moving, moving through. So, but you, you also mentioned that you had, you were an art major as well, besides, besides basketball and besides, you know, you're this, this hoop all-star, right? Where does the art and where does, where does the art come into this as well? Uh, you mean like as it translates to sales or just in general? Just talking about your previous experience, uh, just in like, how did you start liking art? Like, where, how did you know that that was something that you wanted to do at the next level as well, um, using, using your words from before? Yeah, I think it was just an outlet for me. Uh, like bas- basketball was kind of front and center. That's what I was known for. Um, and and uh, all of my relationships were kind of in that realm. But whenever I'm, a, I'm an introvert, I'm an INFJ on the uh, Myers-Briggs. So I needed some time to myself. I enjoyed spending time alone. And uh, whenever I would get to that place, I would listen to music or just draw and think about like, what can I create here? I write poetry as well. Uh, that's always been a big part of my life. So uh, my wife jokes because like I write her poetry all the time and she would rather me like do a chore or like, go <laughs> like hey, I will read this poem once you take my car and wash it. I'm like, <laughs> bet. Um, so it doesn't translate well with her. But it's always just kind of been a, a therapeutic outlet for me. And honestly, that's why I started writing on, on LinkedIn. I created a ton of content in my role with the nonprofit that we helped launch. And uh, writing on LinkedIn was just kind of a natural transition for me. I needed that outlet. And then, you know, started to build a brand and figured out like, okay, where can I niche down? And how does my story kind of factor into that? Yeah, and you're very intentional. It's really cool. And I love that about the SAS Bros brand and it just what you you and Darren bring to it as well. I think you guys are super intentional of, of what you're posting in it and it shows through and through. Now, before we jump in a little further, obviously you took on art, um, but it sounded like basketball was a big part of your identity. And I know still is, you know, you're wearing a basketball shirt. Is that Kobe on your shirt? Yes, sir. So Kobe on the shirt. I know uh, you're a big Dirk Nowitzki fan as well. So you, so you rocking, the, rocking that as well. But how do you handle... That loss of identity potentially of hey I'm Eric I'm that great basketball player a lot of people wrap up their self worth in their work or just or have something that they consider their identity and then it either gets taken away or they just can't do it forward what kind of what kind of advice from your experience do you have on that area? Gosh, I mean that really broke me. So my sophomore year uh, is when I left basketball and. I remember walking back to my apartment, just having that conversation with myself and trying to, to figure out, okay, basketball is over. And I always knew that day would come, right? I knew that I wasn't going to play uh, anything beyond college. 
but I never allowed myself to go there mentally until that day when I was no longer a basketball player. And so for me, I, that, that's when I really started asking like life's biggest questions, like who am I and, and why am I here? And for the next two years, uh, really, uh, as I finished up college, uh, I spent time like doing a lot of uh, a lot of studying, a lot of introspection and just trying to figure out how can I form a solid identity when all of these things that I could give myself to could be taken away. Um, so that, that was really the end of my college career and ultimately why I ended up starting the nonprofit. Yeah, that's a perfect segue as well. So you studied bachelor's of sports management at Coastal Carolina and then you went on right after that was, was the starting the nonprofit. The next thing that you did. Yeah. So, uh, my two roommates and best friends, we all committed to being part of this organization that, uh, really, um, had a focus on young leaders and developing leaders on the college campus. So we left South Carolina and moved to the triangle, uh, the Raleigh Durham area of North Carolina and, uh, and built out this organization, uh, primarily at UNC and NC state. So we had a team of, 15 or so people that started. Uh, a lot of them left after year two, <laughs> uh, but it was always a, a great fit for me. I loved my time there. And at every turn, I uh, just decided, man, I want to keep going. Uh, what I thought would be a two to three year commitment turned into over a decade of serving in that space. And and really uh, the key component in forming like who I am as a person, that's where I met my wife, uh, most of my friends, even to this day, uh, came from us, uh, you know, pioneering that organization. And why, why nonprofit, right? I mean, like you could go do anything. Why would you want to be a nonprofit and why would you want to serve others? Uh, I don't, I don't think I really understood the, the business world, to be honest with you. Like I, I, I was always sort of a, a meaning driven, purpose driven individual, uh, and when this opportunity came along, it was like, okay, I could see myself doing this. Uh, I, I wasn't super money motivated back then. Uh, and I, I really just valued my freedom and doing what I wanted to do and the, the ability to be around young people and to sort of take what I had learned, reinvest that into the next generation of leaders. Um, that was enough to keep me motivated day in and day out. Oh, that that's phenomenal, man. And I, I so what, what's the biggest lesson of starting that nonprofit that you had, or, or what were some of the biggest skills that you came out of um, as a result of doing that work for, for 10 years? Man, the biggest one uh, is how to start something from nothing and just being that, that feeling of being alone. Uh, but knowing that you have something that is, uh, is, is worth uh, building uh, but going to the campus every day, trying to meet people who really weren't trying to meet me, you know, it's not like they, they cared about who I was or, or what I was doing. Um, so just that resiliency to get up day in and day out and to try and build something. Uh, of course, you know, we had each other, um, the other people that were on staff, uh, and we really leaned into our friendships. That's what kept us going. Uh, but yeah, that, that resiliency of starting with a small team, and then over the years, growing it to a staff team of 50 plus, a volunteer base of 300 plus. When I look back on that 12 year experience and remember the early days, it's like, hey, this did not exist. And now it's this thriving organization that I'm no longer connected to. Uh, that That's something that I'm really proud of. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I just hear so many different things that it's like, it's no secret that you're doing exactly what you're doing right now because there's so many parallels 
that we'll get into, but uh, I'm going to save that for a little bit. So, all right, you got all this fantastic experience. When did you know, 2019, you're deciding to hang up the nonprofit to move into 15.5, into an SDR role? Why would you go from being this big executive director of your own nonprofit to going to be an SDR? Man, that, that season was crazy. Uh, you know, we were, we, we were pretty beat up uh, coming out of that. Um, you know, I had five years as the executive director for uh, the nonprofit. And, um, and my wife made a lot of sacrifices for me to, to do that. And she really had this dream, this vision of starting her business. That was never going to happen as long as I was full time uh, with the nonprofit. And so a huge reason why we left is so she could be freed up to do her thing. Um, plus I, I knew that I didn't want to, to stay in the nonprofit forever. And so we were looking at, at, at this season as kind of like an inflection point, like is now the right time to move? Um, thankfully we had, uh, we called it a sabbatical, but basically six months off to, reconnect as a couple, reconnect as a family and just figure out, all right, what are we going to do next? Because I had no plan B. I had I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, but we had a great team around us during that season. And uh, the one thing I did have was a network that I tapped into. And so I treated that as a full-time job, just started meeting with people here locally, uh, learning about different organizations and the way teams are structured in the business world, really just trying to be a sponge and meet as many people as, as possible, learn as much as possible. And uh, every single conversation sort of pointed me to tech sales. I was like, I don't even know what this is, but I think it's worth exploring. Um, so yeah, three or four months in, it became very clear that this is the direction I wanted to go. Uh, but I had a lot to learn and had a lot to figure out. Yeah. And, and during that process, like for, for people who aren't sure about what they want to do, or they're going to be switching jobs or switching careers, which is a lot about what you're, you're currently helping with, but what kind of advice do you have for, for those type of people who are in that tough season, I guess, of, I don't know what I want to do. I I'm trying to find my purpose, my why, you know, I have a wife who I'm trying to help accommodate that, but I need to pay the bills. Like, how do you take all of that and try to, if you had to give a few pieces of advice to somebody who's in that position based upon your experience, what would you say? Well, you touched on one, uh, having a, having a crystal clear why I think is everything, because that's going to be one of the most challenging seasons of uh, that person's life, probably uh, super stressful, uh, really hard to figure out and to navigate um, so taking the time to sit down and understand, like, why am I doing this and what do I ultimately want? And is this move moving me toward that end goal? Uh, I think a lot of people don't do that. And so one of the things we do with our, our candidates is we coach them through their why. That's the first part of the playbook. And we will not move them through to part two until they formulated that why. Uh, because, as you know, in the SDR role, uh, it's a grind. There are days when when making cold calls is the last thing you want to do. Plenty of days. Right. Uh, but to have that why in front of you is what keeps you going, uh, pushing through those hard days. So that that's one. Um, and I would say your network is is everything. Like that's what I had available to me. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the skills. Uh, I mean, my resume was laughable. Uh, but I did have people who would advocate for me. I had people who uh, would would help me have conversations uh, with other influential people. Um, and I'm really, really thankful that I built that network and had people uh, that could walk me into a company like 15.5 and, and at least be considered. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I have a pretty similar background to that as well. I mean, like there's so many times of like, I, I always look at relationships and I think we align with this pretty well of like relationships are, are the, the keys to doors that you would have otherwise never had an opportunity to get to. Uh, where, where in your career though, is it, was it at this time that you learned the importance of relationships or even earlier on, it sounded like you like early, early high school years, you had some really good friends and built those relationships. Where did you ultimately, do you know, across your lifespan where you thought, where you finally realized like relationships are, are, are crucial and I need to double and triple down on that? Yeah, I think it started in high school with a group of guys that I played ball with, um, made some really good friendships in college. Uh, those, those continued into the nonprofit. Um, but part of that was raising my salary. So I raised my entire salary for 12 years plus organizational funds on top, uh, millions of dollars. And so you learn very quickly how to network and how to build relationships, how to cast vision, how to win people to a mission, how to make specific asks. Um, so, I mean, I, I cut my, I cut my teeth in sales in the nonprofit world when I was fundraising, we had a team of 75 plus people that gave us a monthly donation every month for 12 years. And you have to, uh, not just find those people and start those relationships, but cultivate them and continue winning them to yourself and to your vision. Cause there's no, no shortage of, uh, you know, other, other things that they could give to yeah. And literally, as you said that, it was so funny because I, I literally wrote, you know, I'm coming at it from an account manager role where I have to um, retain business. So ma maintain those relationships as well as nurturing them in, in, in hopes of good nurturing will lead to expansion as well. So it sounded like you, you had a lot of that as well, but moving into the SDR role at 15.5 and tying the, those two experiences together, nine months in a row, well above quota. What else about besides the grit that you learned early on, besides the relationships that were important, how did you hit all of those, like attain that quota or above that quota consistently for so long? One, uh, I knew that I wanted to be an AE as soon as possible. I think there were 20 SDRs that were there when I got there. So they were all ahead of me in line, right, for that promotion. And so uh, I did not want to wait my turn. I wanted to leapfrog my peers and when that position became available, I wanted to be the clear and obvious choice. So I knew it wasn't like I need to be uh, the top performing SDR. That was a given. It was I need to be far and away the most obvious choice for this AE role when the time comes. So it was not just hitting quota. It was doing the little things like uh, meeting with people in other departments, um, learning the ins and outs of, of the business, being able to hop on an all hands and give the pipeline update instead of our CRO. Um, you know, having, managing up and helping my manager be a better manager, uh, peer accountability, getting with the other SDRs who are really motivated and had a vision for becoming account executives, forming an accountability group with them where we met every day for over a year, so 15 minute daily stand up where we held each other accountable. Did you do what you said you would do yesterday? Yes or no. And what's the one thing that you're going to do today? And then we would check in on each other. So that peer to peer accountability was huge. And just having a vision for, hey, I need to move into this next role as soon as possible. And why is it so important for reps to manage up or to help grow or, or help lead 
the other individual contributors that are around you. Why is that so important? You have a job to do. You need to go get meetings booked or maybe even close some business. Why are you going to try to help everybody else? Yeah, I, th I think part of it comes down to just, you know, who you are. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's like a requirement, right? Like you're, you're brought on to be an SDR and be the best SDR that you can be. That's your job. That's your job description. Right. You know, for me, I always had a commitment to go beyond that and to add value to other people as well. Um, that's just who I am. That's how I'm wired. That aligns with the experiences that I've had. Right. Um, I think that's what sets you apart and what gives you that opportunity for, you know, whatever the next thing is. Yeah. And it's all about setting yourself apart, whether you want a promotion or, or even in the selling world of if there's two people that could be a commoditized task or something, right? What's the differentiator? Eric is a differentiator because he goes above and beyond, right? That's, that's, oh, right. that's fantastic. So you go from 15.5 over to gravy then. What, how did you know you wanted to leave 15.5 and what was so great about gravy? Man, I did not want to leave 15.5. Uh, I love that place and still have fantastic relationships across the entire company. Uh, and um, I mean, if I ever go back to selling, 15.5 is the first place I would go. And they're, they're a duly customer too. So shout out to 15.5. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> uh, just great people over there. Um, great product mark, market fit and um, just really, really good leadership. Uh, I left uh, primarily because of one, I, was, I saw the vision for growing my personal brand on LinkedIn. Uh, and I knew that eventually I wanted to own my own business. And if I could somehow build a following on LinkedIn, I think I could, my thought process was uh, I could maybe one day monetize that and turn it into a business like Sasbro's. Uh, Gravy was doing a really good job of that. Uh, and so I started seeing posts from some of their leaders. Uh, I actually prospected into Gravy and was in the process of selling 15.5 to Gravy whenever I met Derek, who was the uh, sales leader at the time. Derek and I have a similar background. We got on a call, hit it off. Uh, and it was really a couple conversations where he sort of cast a vision for what I could eventually do there, uh, made a quick decision and, and said yes and had uh about as good of a run as you could possibly have uh, in 2020 or 2021 at Gravy. Wow, that's fantastic. What was the biggest lesson that you learned from your time at Gravy that you're using now and that you'll carry on for the rest of your, uh, your years? <sighs> biggest lesson I learned from Gravy was uh, build your brand. That, that's, I mean, KC, our CEO, is all about that. And he really empowered me and other folks to do that. Um, and I took advantage uh, of that offering and just, you know, committed to, to posting on LinkedIn and, uh, and doing that consistently for a long time. And what's the importance as we, as we start to, now we're starting to get close to, to the SaaS bros. I hear the, the rumbling of, of this thing starting, right? What's the importance of working for a company that does align with the goals of, hey, somebody saying, I, I, maybe I want to start a personal brand. What's the importance of the company's role? in helping to either facilitate that brand or to let their employees have that flexibility to do the things that they would like to do as a result of that brand? It's hard for me to understand uh, why that's not true across the board, to be honest with you. Like it's such a win for the individuals, the employees, right? They have that freedom to express themselves and, and to be who they are and to build something that they really care about. Uh, but it's a huge win for the companies as well. I mean, I think about Dooley and the, the brand recognition that you all have. It's like, 
unparalleled, right? Uh, but it's because, like, yeah, I think the the dually um, there's a corporate, you know, page and uh, whoever runs that, I think does a fantastic job. Yeah. Shout out to Camille. Incredible, yeah. an incredible marketing team we have at Dooley. Yeah. It's, uh, it's world-class. Uh, but I think a lot of Dooley's success has come on, on the backs of like individuals who have posted for a long time and made a huge impact with their own uh, branding. So yeah, man, I don't, I don't get it. I think those companies who don't allow that freedom uh, will get left in the dust, and uh, and everybody will leave them for companies who are are leading with, hey, come here, and you can do whatever you want to do on on LinkedIn. Yeah, and you're seeing a lot of that too, because there's a lot of companies that don't let you have that flexibility. And to your point, it makes me scratch my head too, because to your point, all boats, I believe that all boats rise with the tide. So if somebody's coming onto Eric's uh, personal profile because he saw something that was interesting, that's going to help gravy, right? Or that's going to help 15.5, or that's going to help whatever, or SAS bros now, right? right? Um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, people- I mean, those, are the, those are the people, honestly, like if I was running a, a business, uh, those are the people that I would want on my team because uh, they're, they're driven, they're doing extra work, right? Like they're taking care of business uh, as it relates to what I'm trying to build, but they're also building something on their own. Like that's who I want to work with. Yeah, and they have that ability to, when, when they start showing you as a leader, you know, as leader, Eric, of this person has the creative ability to create something great, they could probably use that same skill of transferring that skill into the actual business. So leaders should be looking at what their, what their reps are doing from that personal brand perspective and seeing, hey, maybe that skill could be utilized in the business somewhere. And we see that all the time now. Like I'm starting to get involved with um, some dually voiceovers for some of their videos and getting into podcasting and stuff too. And that's yeah. where the fun happens of, of taking the, you know, love selling, love the the content creation side of things and marrying that all together with the brand. I mean, there, there's literally nothing else that I could ever even be asking about. Um, and to your point about the personal brands, like I first started hearing about Dooley from Ryan Scalera and Zoe Hartsfield, right? Yeah. They were just like, you think of, you think about Dooley and, and Mark, right? Mark Jung. Um, you know, every, and, and all of them went on to go, they're doing incredible things at their companies now, but they set the tone for what future dooligans should be doing, in my opinion. So I think it, it's a duty as part of the brand is some of those people who started it early to continue that process. So that's why I'm, tr I'm trying to get some of our other reps to, hey, just try to do something that's fun for you. You don't have, if you don't like videos, don't do a video, but write something, right? Like do something because it's going to help you. It's going to help your business. It helps from a credibility standpoint. I mean, it, it, the list goes on and on about the things that we could talk about. So it just comes back to the point, Eric, of like, I'm still scratching my head on why, like, be, just based upon everything that we just talked about, why would somebody not want that, those benefits? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy, man. All right. Well, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. I think I, think I, 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 I talked enough about that. So, all right. So here's the recap. Life's biggest questions came to you during your basketball career. You wanted that freedom ultimately, and you had the experience of starting something from nothing. You wanted to work with a, with a brand early on of the, the Nike and the apparel companies. Now, and, and you also built the importance of networking. Where we are right now, Eric, is you're doing every single one of those things from all of those different areas of your career into SaaS pros. Talk, let's talk about that transition from, you know, because I think it's, it's incredibly scary. I'm sure as you, as you're just literally just gone through for those who don't know, 
Eric just went from working at Gravy to now being um, a full-time founder, right? With his brother, uh, with his brother Darren McKee with SAS Bros. So based upon all of that, Eric, like, tell us the story of SAS Bros. Yeah, <laughs> man, SAS Bros, I, I think goes back to really Darren making a commitment three years ago to, to being consistent on LinkedIn. I mean, he's a pioneer. You know, he, he looked at guys like KD and, uh, and Morgan and John Barrows and uh, all of these people. And he would, he would show them to me. And I would be like, dude, like, why, why are you spending all this time on LinkedIn? Right. And he really, he saw the vision of it becoming a, a you know, social platform. Uh, and he, he's posted every day for however many years now and has built himself a, a legit following. So I think SAS Bros goes back to Darren committing to building on LinkedIn and then just us helping people. Uh, I mean, taking a ridiculous amount of phone calls, uh, people that we knew, people that we didn't know uh, on a weekly basis and just sort of coaching them through how to make that transition from, hey, I, I'm in this uh, non-traditional space. I want to get into SaaS. You guys did that. I don't know how. Can you coach me through that? And so we've, we've been doing that for years. Um, and, uh, you know, December rolls around and we're at my parents' house around a fire, just talking about the conversations he had. I'm talking about the conversations I had that week. Um, and we just said, man, why, why would we not just formalize a brand here and start a newsletter. I've been learning a little bit about newsletters, you know, following some of the big hitters on, on LinkedIn and just thinking about, could we grow an online business? Uh, and in December, January, I started niching down into here's how to transition from a non-traditional space into SaaS. I went all in with that and gained like a couple thousand followers very quickly. Um, so I knew I had something there and then we formalized the brand. I spent way too much money on like a brand, <laughs> uh, but I think it, I think having the logo and even the, the slogan, you know, let the hungry in, watch them eat. I think people resonated with that. And uh, we, we were truly like overwhelmed by the, the momentum early. So that's going back to January. Yeah, that's fantastic. And obviously, we're, we're recording in June just for context. So obviously, in the past five months, there was a significant amount of changes and growth and some things that weren't so ideal, like the shipping issue that you had with the sweatshirt. So we'll, we'll jump into that too. Uh, damn it, Eric, for messing that one up. No. Um, all right. <laughs> um, so, well, you know what? We have to tell that story now. So what, what happened? So you, you built the brand. You're very intentional about it. You and Darren were like, let's formalize this thing. You got the logo with this, the awesome knuckle with the, the tattoos, which it's cool that you're pulling in even more of your, your tattoo connoisseur or tattoo junkie, as you mentioned on your LinkedIn. So pulling together some of that into that gritty brand, right? Like you see that and it's like, we're gritty, we're hungry. We want to mm -hmm. do this. So the, the brand, the, the brand image speaks for itself. So you get to the point where you say, all right, let's make sweatshirts. And then you, you roll that out to, Hey, who else would want a sweatshirt? Take the story from there. Yeah, I mean, we 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 like hoodies. Uh, I always joke with Darren, like I just want SAS Bros to become like a, a merch company where we make a ton of money off selling uh, selling sweatshirts or or, or shirts or whatever. Um, I, I wanted to make one just for myself, and I, I don't know, I don't remember who originally made the post, but we had like twenty or thirty people say they wanted one, and then we made like another post, and fifty people said yes. So. I had to figure out like, <laughs> how do I take all these messages and put them into an Excel sheet, 
take them over to FedEx and get them shipped. Uh, it was, it was fun, but definitely botched that whole process. Uh, but as a $500 marketing spend, that's how I'm choosing to, to chalk it up. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'd be really interesting too. Like you, cause you posted about the mess up and it looked like it, it got some pretty great, um, uh, looks on LinkedIn of, of just being humble and humid or not yeah. humid, not human, human, right. You're showing, you're showing that concept. So like, to your point, I mean, I love that you reframed it to that of like, hey, we were able to, to take this and learn and, you know, take this non-ideal situation and turn it into a positive. What's the importance of doing that in life? Because that was just one example of it. I'm sure you have a ton other ones as well. I mean, I mean, even going back to January where we, where we, we said like, okay, let's formalize this thing. And that, that sets off like a whole new set of challenges. And I mean, Tyler, I'm not joking with you. Like, Every single day going back to January, I've done something that I've never done before. And that's like, that's really tough. So uh, working through those, those blockers, like, man, I don't know how to set up Stripe to Calendly. Like that, that's probably an, uh, not the best example because it's not too hard, but I still had never done it. No, it's still something, just the concept of it's not something like I am going to face something that I've never done before, right? Is the daunting area that you had to overcome. Exactly. And there were a thousand little things like that. And, uh, you know, one of the most challenging ones is the playbook. Like I knew, I knew that I had the playbook in me, like in my mind, uh, but sitting down and making a commitment to writing a 43 page ebook, working with an editor, working with a, a designer, and then shipping that in a way that was very public and asking people to buy it. That was hard. Um, so, I mean, it, the, the founder life as I know it so far has been just signing yourself up for, uh, little hard things, big, hard things that you're, that you're just committing to do every day. Oh, I love that, man. So, so let's talk about that a little bit further as well. Like there's a thousand and one different things that you could be doing right now. You're, you're, you know, uh, you know, Darren's working at wealthy now he's doing an incredible job there, but you made that big jump from, uh, from your job to being the founder, how do you prioritize out of all the thousands of things to do? How do you break it down even to a daily level? What, what does that look like? I'm learning that right now. I would say I have not done the best job. Uh, I made a post about that this week, actually, where um, there are certain things that I, I really enjoy doing. Like I'm a, I'm a creative. It's easy for me to, to pump out content. Uh, I'm relational. I love hopping on a phone call and just coaching someone or seeing how they're doing, what I can help with. Uh, I'm not, I'm not very detail oriented. I'm not the best when it comes to like systems and structures. So uh, I've really had to lean into other people, let people help me and, uh, and, and really figure out like the execution piece. And um, I've been most helped by starting my day with what is the most important thing. And whether it's easy to me or uh, hard for me, just starting there and spending the first couple hours attacking that most important thing and getting that out of the way before I do anything else. Yeah, I love that. E eating the frog. And it's so funny, as you say this, I'm literally pulling up my phone because I do something uh, similar the same way for people who are watching. Like, here's my, my to-do list. Every single night before I go to bed, I'll write down six o'clock, wake up, mile and a half run, lift, coffee, like literally every single step of what I'm gonna be doing early on laying out my clothes so that everything, so I don't have any of that thought fatigue going into it, right? I know exactly what I'm doing. And then I'll put those top two to three things that I need to get done because 
Yes. You could, you could feel like a, like no matter what, if there's a, if you had a really bad morning or you look back on the day and say, wow, there were some non, there's some things that weren't so great, but I got that done today. I got this done today. That's, that's so important, right? And I mean, on the flip side, if you, if you do, let's say you do 20 things, but you didn't do the most important thing. And that's a, that's a problem. And, uh, and, and so I've really been fighting that battle. It's like, here are all the, the easy things and the fun things that I want to do saying no to them in order to do the most important thing. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. And to your point, I think you made, I made a note about it as well. I think you said something about uh, that LinkedIn poach you mentioned, no, trying to, uh, to fight the battle every day of saying no um, to some of the fun things to focus on those hard, high impact things as well. And, and like, you know, you could do a million different things that have a value to you of zero, or you could do one thing that has the biggest change, you know? Yeah. I mean, right now it's like, I have all these people in our community and our talent collective, uh, the table who uh, I'm talking to on like a daily basis. Uh, I've, I've really tried to discipline myself to have less of those conversations to focus on the main priority right now, which is doing deals with hiring companies who uh, want us to be a recruiting partner or recruiting channel. So that's my main focus. I don't get, I don't get paid unless I have those contracts in place. So we can't, can't keep sending people over for free if uh, if this is going to be the business that supports my family. No, absolutely. And that that's so cool. And I think it's really interesting now that the way that you mentioned that is like the way that you, my question is like, okay, well, how do you, how do you do that? Well, you already done that in the past. You need to prioritize what companies are still going to be growing. Where do I have relationships at those companies and who could I leverage to get introductions to that? Dude, yeah. you're doing SDR work right um, now as a founder. I, I literally had that conversation with myself today when I was driving home. It's like full circle, man. I, I am I, I am the uh, chief SDR of SaaS. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love it, but but no, but that's that's so interesting though because I want to dive into this too because you're doing what's needed for the business. Like no matter what, you you had to learn the stripe. That's finance. I, that, typically, like I don't deal with that. Right, that's finance. But yeah. you are everything at that. So, oh, dude, that that's so exciting that like. You know, I'm a, a, I mean, by now you probably know I'm a nerd for learning how skills transfer. And I think you're a perfect example of how that actually happens because you took things from every single one of those jobs and you're leveraging it today. Based upon all of your previous experience there, like what's something that you're currently doing right now or a skill that you're using that you developed in the past that you thought, man, I am never going to use this skill again, but really you're currently using it on a daily basis, or maybe it's just an important skill. Uh, I'll take an indirect approach to that one. Um, I have been absolutely blown away by how impactful the LinkedIn community has been for SaaS bros. Uh, like I, I just did not expect how much the, uh, how much the community would embrace us and be willing to support us. So I think the the best thing that we've done is that commitment to just build in public and be authentic and be transparent and invite people into our wins and losses like there is a true community of people not just the folks in our talent collective who are looking for jobs uh but there are sales leaders there are founders there are uh you know guys like you um who want SaaS bros to be successful uh like even seeing people post pictures of of the hoodie uh you know i'm getting tagged on posts where people are working through the playbook every day 
uh, like I just did not expect the community, the community led growth that we've experienced. Uh, and I, I think that goes back to my time uh, with, with uh, the nonprofit where, I mean, I, I spent all day, every day um, building relationships and, and building this movement that could, uh, could go beyond just me as an individual. Yeah, dude. And, and it's, it's so crazy. And you guys are so intentional with everything you're doing with building that brand. And I think that, you know, it, to your, to the point of the nonprofit stuff, personal brands are so great because of the community that you could build as a result of that. People feel bad when you, like when I saw, when you saw that, uh, the, the couple hundred dollar loss on the sweatshirts, I'm like, oh man, but you know what? He, they're going to learn something about that. I'm still rooting for these guys, right? Like the, that you're, you're just putting that same, the stuff that you're putting out attracts your tribe, right? I think the vibe attracts the tribe or something. If you want to be, you know, uh, I think another guest said that uh, previously, but I am so bullish on the community aspect of business. Now I think, I think it's just shifting. And I think yeah. that you guys are, it's, it's almost riding the perfect tidal wave of building those relationships, getting the community and getting people bought in because then people like, for example, I, like I, if, if you reached out to me or you reached out to a number of people who are also in that same tribe, you're giving so much to other people that when you, it's like Gary V's jab, 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 right hook, right? You're not asking, you're giving, 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 giving. And then when you have an ask, people are saying, yo, Eric, I got you, man. Darren, no problem. Yeah. How, yeah. how important is that for your business? That is the business. I mean, that, that's, that's the reason I left gravy. I'm, I am betting on the deposits that we've made for three years uh, and, and um, the community to be there when I'm, when I make the withdrawal. I mean, I think, you know, hopefully we've been uh, transparent enough to where people understand that SAS bros isn't like a hundred thousand dollar business right now. I mean, we've made some money with the playbook. We've made some money doing coaching, uh, but we have not made money in regards to recruiting, which I think is the real business model moving forward. Right. Uh, I agree. I left my job. Uh, without having proven that out. I mean, we've done it for free for 30 plus people and, and we have, you know, hiring companies that we've been working with, but it's a different ballgame when you're sending over a contract and saying, hey, I'm not going to send it. I'm not going to send over any more candidates until we get this deal done. Uh, we have not proven out that, but I'm betting on the deposits that we made in the community to really show up for us and sort of help us figure that out. Dude, that's fantastic. Well, I absolutely love the mission that you're on. Um, I want to jump into some final questions before we, we push some uh, push everybody to, to where they could find SAS Bros and everything you have going on. want to do something a little different. I don't typically do, I do rapid fire, but there's a couple things on your LinkedIn that I want to ask a couple questions on. So number one, you're an ex-hooper, love basketball. Besides Dirk Nowitzki, who is the person that you would want to play one-on-one -on -one against? And not, not trying to win, but just would want to play because you love them as a, a player. My favorite player is Allen Iverson. So I'd have to say AI. Uh, my dad used to make me watch his games and how he would move around without the ball. Uh, I'm, I'm a small guy. I'm five, five, nine. Um, and AI was just a guy like with the tattoos when I was, you know, growing up in middle school, high school, I was like, man, that guy is cool. I want to be like him. <laughs> That's so, so funny. I, him. I like Steph Curry a lot. I think he's, he's probably my favorite player in today's game. It's so funny. And those are the, those are those small gritty players who know how to get things done. And it sounds like it's a, a perfect uh, segue for what you like to do as well. And that's, uh, that's great. And I, I loved, uh, that was a great answer, by the way, no, no pun intended about uh, Alan Iverson. Okay. Maybe it was, that was terrible. Maybe I'll cut that out. 
I won't. All right. Um, <laughs> next sneakerhead. What's your favorite sneaker? Oh man, either either Jordan ones or uh, the 11s. Fantastic breakfast tacos. What is your favorite topping? To me, well, so here's a this is a question where it's like, can I be friends with you or not? Like, if if we if we don't agree on what a taco is, then this is big know. stakes. I don't know if we're ready for this on the show, Eric. <laughs> Look, a, a taco is a corn tortilla with your your choice of meat, onions, and cilantro. That's it. That's what a taco is. Dude, I love that. So it's so funny. Uh, literally, I'm doing something brand new that I've never done gardening, and I I literally have cilantro upstairs. So I love the how everything ties ties together here as well. I'll have to send you a picture. I actually just posted on LinkedIn this morning. So crazy world. All right, two questions I love to ask every single guest. Number one, you have two children, five and six years old. What's your best piece of parenting advice? Oh man, I am very committed to, uh, to my boys knowing how I feel about them, not just having to guess that. Uh, and so we have four banner statements. I have the banner right here so they can see it when they walk into my office, but these are statements that I say over them. You know, we form lessons around them. Uh, they've memorized them and, uh, and it's a, a huge part of our family culture, just this idea of, I don't want them to ever have to guess uh, what I believed or how I felt about them. I want them to, to know that and, and with very specific terms. Oh, dude, that, that's incredible. I'm, I'm sure we could have another podcast of just talking about the stories from that. But final question here is one of, the, one of the banner statements is you can tell me anything. And I just I want I want my boys to to know that. Um, they don't have to hide things from me that they can come and share the good and the bad and uh, that I'm here for them and I'm willing to have those conversations. Dude, that's, that's a huge one. Uh, so I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing that. that. That's no secret. That's a testament to being a, a great parent and, and with you and your wife um, raising them really well as well. Final okay. question I have, I ask every guest on the show, if you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? Uh, I think I would, I would teach them, I would probably riff off the Simon Sinek and start with why and help them learn to formulate that, learn to ask that question, uh, not just once, but over and over again. And to, to start there, uh, when it comes to every single big decision that they make and, and have a grid of, of, uh, questions that they can make those decisions through. That's, that that's, maybe, hey, maybe that's one that you and I could do together. I see your book right there. All right, let's, let's do it, man. <laughs> Sounds good, man. So wh where could people, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. I know, I know we, I've never talked with you before this, besides just back and forth on LinkedIn, really great to meet you. Um, and looking forward to seeing how we could interact in the future as well. Where could people learn more about you, SAS bros and everything else you have going on? Yeah, obviously continuing to follow us on, on LinkedIn. We try to post daily content there. Um, the newsletter is huge. You can sign up for the newsletter at sasbros.co. Uh, we're building the V2 of the website right now. That's my one thing today, Tyler. Love it. Uh, I'm holding today. you accountable for that 15 minute <laughs> meeting tomorrow. <laughs> right. uh, that, that was, uh, that's what's next for us. Um, pretty much everything that we offer can be found there except for the recruiting, which is where we're headed in the future. So my focus over the next few months is continuing to talk with the people in our talent collective, uh, coaching them up, uh, but really doing deals with hiring companies who I align with and who I think would align with Sasbro's vision and, and value prop. 
Eric, this has been so great, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.